Welcome to the Southern New Hampshire Real Estate Show with Sam Bohegan and Dan O'Donnell. We're both realtors at Keller Williams, and we explore a variety of uh, real estate-related topics to help guide our clients and future clients through the wonderful world of real estate. Did you know there's over 115 different variables involved in the typical real estate transaction, and mismanagement of any one of those can cause catastrophic consequences for a buyer or a seller, and we want to make sure that our clients and our future clients don't ever have that happen to them. So we'll have a variety of guests on the show uh, that are involved in various aspects of the real estate business, and they will help you understand how you get through it, because you can. And it's not hard, but you just need to know what to do. So Sam, what we got on tap for today? So today we have a special guest, attorney Lori Peral. Thank you for being here and taking the time, first of all. Thank you, guys. Uh, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of a real estate attorney and uh, the role that they play. Uh, but first, uh, Lori, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into uh, your field. Okay, sure. I am a real estate attorney practicing in Hollis, New Hampshire, and I've been practicing law, well, practicing for 30 years. And my areas of expertise, so to say, are pretty much real estate, corporate, and wills and trusts, So, which actually coincide a little bit more than you would anticipate. I first got into the law because I wanted to do criminal defense, which is a very different field from where I am now. And I decided that the clientele left a little bit to be desired, and I really do enjoy helping people. So the best way is that I can help. I love to help people through their real estate transaction, buying a new home, and then their other planning with business and estates. So. Very cool. Uh, so the big question uh, people are probably looking for as far as the audience here uh, the role that the, a real estate attorney plays, um, what they do, and, and where obviously it's super important and how that plays into it and everything. Sure. Um, the real estate attorney is actually going to act most of the time as a closing agent. So there's different capacities that you can act in the real estate transaction as an attorney. You can either represent the seller, you can represent the buyer, or you can be the actual closing agent, which if there's a lender, you're really representing the lender. Um, if there isn't a lender, then you're the closing agent you're representing. So most often, most of our transactions involve being the closing agent, and that person is responsible for conducting the closing um, from beginning to end, really. So what that means is we first get a file over, which involves the purchase and sale agreement that you guys have put together, and then we will start title work. And our biggest job there is to make sure that there's clear title to the property for the lender and or the buyer, to make sure that there are no title defects that would prevent them from being able to sell the property down the road. So, Can you give us an example of a, a title defect? Sure. There's a, a couple. There's a, so many of them. Um, a lot. The most common is a missing discharge. So there might be somebody who had a mortgage on their property. In fact, I have one coming up that's supposed to close on Friday. The seller has a mortgage on their property, two mortgages on the property. One was paid off and should have been discharged. The discharge never got recorded at the Registry of Deeds. She got a new mortgage on the property, which makes you believe that it should have been discharged, but it hasn't been discharged. So now before she can convey the property, we actually need to get that mortgage or lien taken off from the property and make sure that discharge goes on record. So that kind of stops you in your tracks from being able to go forward with your closing. So there are creative ways to resolve that, but it's something that has to be resolved. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because uh, just today I met with a client, uh, one of our clients, and uh, his mom had passed away and, you know, was, he was asking me some advice on how to proceed with, you know, moving the house. And the first thing I said is, well, the first thing you want to do is go through the house and collect any papers you have that have anything to do with anything and save them. Put them in a box, you know, particularly things like bank records and mortgage discharge, whatever it may be, 
You might not know what it is. You might think it's not important. They've owned the house for 30 years. But for the exact reason you just said, uh, I gave them that exact example. It's funny you should say that. Um, I said, you know, when we go to sell it, you know, when they go to, when they're, they're, they're investigating the title of the property and they see that's missing, you know, sometimes, you know, attorney can forget to register to record that and you might have the only copy. So it's, you know, it's really important for Very people true. to hang on to the, uh, those records, yeah, right? It's happened a lot, and those properties that have been held on to for a lot of years are the ones where those title issues are more likely to come up because they, the title hasn't been searched for years since the parents, his parents probably bought the property, um, so that there's a long chain there that needs to be searched through to double-check and make sure there aren't leads that... So what, so what happens? Suppose, suppose, suppose you get in a situation, you know, and, and of course it, it's happening before the closing. It's, it's as you're getting towards there. You know, you as the title attorney or the title company would be calling us and say, hey, we got a problem. Um, suppose they can't find the paperwork. Suppose it's nowhere to be found. I mean, what do you, what do, you right. do with that? That is a good question. There's a lot of uh, ways that that can be resolved, a lot of resources that we can go to. Um, sometimes you go back and see who actually paid off the loan. So was it paid off when they purchased it or did they refinance and try to find a settlement statement, show proof of payoff, and you can forward that to the lender to get actual the actual discharge. Um, of course, if the paperwork that you suggested he saved has been saved, then that's a really good start because if we can show that it's been paid off, then we can absolutely get that discharge. The lender is required to issue a discharge. In fact, they're required to issue it within 60 days of the payoff, but we all know that doesn't happen all the time. So otherwise, um, it really is just showing proof that that mortgage doesn't exist and sometimes that involves chasing a chain of title because the banks have switched so it may be something that started with one bank and ended with another so there's a variety of ways for us to answer that but the main thing is for us to try to find out how it was paid off when it was paid off and provide that proof to the lender and push them into getting that discharge for us quickly um, that's usually the biggest problem is the timing so but with some proof we can work around that we can make a decision to um, ensure the title anyway if we have enough proof and until we get that actual discharge on record, which is what we're doing in my closing. So we're going to go ahead and close knowing that we're going to be getting that discharge. So. But your other question with that gentleman is the estate process. So estates get pretty involved when it comes to selling the property and um, because you have to have the authority to sell. So if somebody has died owning property, you have to get appointed by the court if they owned it in their personal name to stand in their shoes to be able to have the power to actually sell. And that's probating an estate. And that's another way that title defects come into play quite quite often, where there's no the probate hasn't been done, or somebody I had another one recently where they thought they owned the property as joint tenants, which mean it, it would have passed to the joint surviving joint tenant, but they did not. They actually owned it as tenants in common, which means the gentleman who died died owning a percentage that passed to his heirs and not to the other person who owned the property. So that complicates things, and you have to have a solution to you know we have solutions to most of it, but you have to research it and figure out the solution and get it taken care of. So, so if, if someone, it's, it's a horrible subject to talk about people pass away, but, you know, we all do at some point. And uh, so if if someone is in that situation where the property they're selling is an estate, then before they do much with getting the property in the market or anything like, like that, um, they should probably see their attorney, a probate attorney, and which is yep. kind of one of the things you do, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. See a probate attorney and see what's necessary to make sure that they actually have the power to sell. Because there's a variety of answers to that, too. But 
but okay. just making sure they can stand in those shoes to sign a purchase and sale agreement. Um, I've seen many times where a purchase and sale agreement has been signed, but we go to do the title, find out that the person has died, and actually the agreement hasn't been signed by the right party. So the first step should be kind of figuring out where you are if somebody has died and you're getting ready to sell and what really needs to be done. The other, you know, could be in a trust, and if there's a trust, then there might be the ability to avoid the probate, so it just depends on... And so the, the typical, typical, I mean, there's some extenuating circumstances that can put you off, I'm sure, months, but, but typically, with the standard estate, you know, process, how long does that take? I mean, before someone can, you know, because people sometimes are living out of town, they, they come back to Nashua only to settle their parents' estate and sell the house, and you know, how long does that whole process normally take? So to probate an estate, you have to keep it open for six months, but that doesn't prevent you from selling it. To be able to get the power to sell, you have to be appointed by the court as a fiduciary, which would be an executor or an administrator, depending on if there was a will or not, um, so that you can then stand in that person's shoes to sign the purchase and sale itself. And then it becomes part of the estate. The money becomes part of the estate assets um, to be dealt with through the probate court. But as long as you get appointed by the court, then you then have the power to sign a purchase and sale and sign a fiduciary deed, which is the type of deed you have when there's an estate. Um, that appointment process is a variety of time lengths before you can get appointed, but I say count on about a month. I've seen it take two weeks. I've seen it take six weeks. It depends on the court docket and how busy they are when you're trying to get appointed. But generally plan on a month to get appointed. And uh, a question that, that I've had sometimes is, you know, sometimes when you go to a closing, um, you know, one of the things that the seller has to do, part of their responsibility and part of their cost, is uh, having the deed prepared, yes. right? And so sometimes you, you see a situation where a lawyer will do it and go to the closing. Sometimes you see a situation where a title company would do it. Is there... I'm just, I'm just wondering, is that how is that, how does that work? I mean, yes, honestly, and, um, lawyers are the only people that are actually licensed to practice law. So if people are, are doing deed preparations and that sort of thing without license to practice, then that's actually illegal. Um, I do think it probably happens here and there, but the, um, I think part of the question is whether the preparation of a deed is the practice of law. I feel that it is. Some people perhaps feel that it isn't, but there are some legalities that go into the deed, whether it's the type of deed, be it fiduciary, um, quick claim deed, warranty deed. You know, people need to understand what they're signing. Um, there are differences there. In fact, so through an estate, you can't necessarily give a warranty deed. You have to give a fiduciary deed. So it does involve the interpretation of law. Um, so essentially, it should be an attorney that's doing that sort of work. But we do have a lot of title companies that do the closings and act in that role we initially started talking about right. as closing agent. And I think, you know, that's fine. There are many people that do that. Most closing agents or title companies do have an attorney attached to the company. Um, I'm part of Benchmark Title, so we are a title company. I have my law office in Hollis and part of Benchmark Title here in Nashua. But um, I think one thing that we do different is we try to make sure that they're, I'm doing the closing as the attorney for the benchmark title. I think most title companies, there's an attorney behind the scenes because there should be because it is the practice of law, in my opinion. But the um, but the attorneys aren't the ones doing the closings. So I try to make sure that I'm doing the closings myself because I do feel it's important. There are many times where legal issues do come up and I can actually give that legal advice and hopefully fix any problem. I hope by now, 30 years into it, that any problem that is thrown at me out of the closing that I can fix. And um, you know, have the power to do that, or even advise people how to take title. Sometimes um, I like to confirm the 
tenancy, how they're going to take title to it as joint tenants or tenants in common, which we briefly talked about. And it's nice to be able to explain that to everybody and give them that option. Or do they want to think about a trust down the road, even if it's, you know, you get a young couple buying their first home, you know, they're, and some, especially if they're not married, um, they should need to consider some of those options too, because you may decide you don't want to own it as joint tenants with rights of survivorship because it goes automatically to the survivor. Maybe that's not what you're looking for. So what, what would you, so was, so you bring up a good topic. Um, so what would the advice be to people? That, what are, what are most people? What should most people do that are that are married, buying their first house? Which way? What would be the benefit? I would say most ways? people, husband and wife, um, or married couple, would be joint tenants with rights of survivorship because that is something you're usually, if you're a husband and wife um, or a married couple, you're looking for that asset to pass to your spouse if you die. So when you do a joint tenancy, it passes what we call by operation of law. That means there's nothing that needs to happen. There's no new deed that needs to go on record or anything. If one joint tenant dies, the surviving joint tenant is automatically the owner. If you own it as tenants in common, then it's something that each of you can will out independently. So if I own something as tenants in common with somebody, I can will it to my child if I want to um, versus just leaving it to the other surviving tenant. But so most married people would definitely do the joint tenancy because it's an easy way to avoid probate um, without needing to do a trust or any of that other other documentation that you can also avoid probate with. But um, that, so that's typical for most married people, joint tenants. Yeah. So from a buyer standpoint, when they're going in, uh, the lender will require them to get the title insurance and everything. But that usually will, will cover the lender. Would you recommend... Uh, buyer also purchase title insurance and could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. A title insurance is there to protect a claim, any claim that somebody might make to your title to the property. So the lender obviously requires it because they are securing the property, they've got a lot of money into the property and they want to make sure that there's somebody that's going to come along, take away that security. So they require it to cover any potential title issues and I think the most common question I get, and I'll get back to the owner part, is that why would I need title insurance if you done a title search, which is a really good question, because part of what we do as a closing agent is do the title search and make sure the title's clear. There are some things that will not show up in a title search, um, for starters, that would affect your title to the property, and the best example I can give is a forged deed. If there's a forged deed in the chain of title, we would have no way of knowing that until somebody does come forward and claim that the deed was a forgery. And although you may think that never happens, one of my very first closings, somebody came forward years later and said it was a forgery. It was not. That's why we collect the licenses and we compare the signatures, and that's part of it. But it does happen out there. And then another really good example is of the estates that we've been talking about. So if you go to probate an estate and you're selling it through an estate and there are five heirs to the property, but you only really report four heirs, we would have no way of knowing that because we don't know that that fifth heir exists. So we check the probate and do the best that we can through the probate, but if the probate isn't accurate or somebody hasn't reported an interest um, of an heir, then that interest has an heir that's never been actually, the gap hasn't been closed, and, or that heir has an interest where the gap hasn't been closed. So those are some things that won't, won't show up in a title search no matter how many times that you search it. The other aspect of that is many people do what I, I call not really complete title work. So we are supposed to search our titles at least 35 years back, um, depending on whether you find a warranty deed or a quick claim deed. And there are many times that, that it doesn't happen anymore. People are doing one owner updates and that sort of thing that we can do maybe sometimes through title other title insurance coverage. So there definitely are issues out there that can be um, resolved with the ownership of title insurance. Um, for the owners themselves, though, if they're not covered, if, the if there's only lender's coverage. So if the owner wants coverage past any potential title issue, they also have to get their owner's coverage. That owner's coverage is 
if you get it at the same time as the lender's coverage, is not that expensive. It's a one-time fee. If you ever refinance, the owner never needs to get it again. Um, so I, I feel that it's a good, I mean, but the one thing you need to know is the title companies who are doing the closings, doing the title searches, do get a portion of the fee for title insurance. So I don't like to give too much advice on that because we are definitely benefiting from it. But I, myself, on any property I buy, do get title insurance because it is a one-time fee and it's just not my headache anymore. Um, and the other aspect of that is as your mortgage gets paid down, your equity in your property is increasing. So you have more at risk the longer you own that property. So part of it depends on how long you're planning on keeping a hold of it. Um, and then the other benefit to that tr truly is that I've seen many closings that would not have occurred on time had there not been title insurance readily available to come in and save the day, so to speak. So we may see a title issue that stops the closing in its tracks. But then if the owner that's trying to sell it has owner's title insurance, oftentimes that title insurance company is on the hook already. So you can go to them and say, look, you're already on the hook. We need to get this closing to close and then fix this issue. And so they will allow the closing, insure it for the new buyer and lender, and then fix the issue. So a lot of times it will prevent a catastrophe. Yeah. yeah so, in the, so in the beginning, the, the whole purpose of that then, if I just rehash that a little bit. So in the beginning, what's happening is the bank is saying, hey, you're buying this house anyway, but we're carrying yeah. all the reliability here because, of course, as we know, when you, you know, for the first year you're paying your mortgage, if you're paying $1,800 for a mortgage payment, it's probably $1,795 of that. It's interesting. <laughs> Just don't start there. That's depressing. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, they print out that list now of the, uh, when, you, when you get, I love it. The they didn't do it in my other house. The, the amortization table, it's about 30 pages long, it feels like, and it just says every month and what your yeah. payment is, like how much you pay in principal, how much you pay in interest. But when you're on the other side of that, it's right. pretty sweet. Like right yeah. now, I'm buying a house and, you know, that's really nice. So on one side, I'm looking at that now, I'm like, this is really great about it. Yeah. I'm not giving anything to the bank. But the new house we're buying, it's like, uh, yeah, there's a problem here. So you it looks terrible. You have to focus on the loan to value. It also gives you that information, which is really helpful. You can see what your loan to value rate is at any point down the road. Yeah, and I never thought about the fact that on the opposite and like where we're at now with our house we're selling is that if anything were to be wrong, if there was somewhere one of the other people yeah. didn't sign off on it when we bought it, you know, it was a, when people, yeah, sometimes when people know money's involved, you know, you know, long lost relative right. shows up oh, that, that was a relative of the person selling the house and you're like, uh, what do you mean you <laughs> own the house? Or so, you know, and it yeah. certainly gets covered. But yeah, good, good point. I, I was involved in a closing, you may have been involved too, that where it yeah. couldn't sell because the person didn't own it because it didn't go through the proper channels of probate. Mm. Right, 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 right. Couldn't right. get it to happen. I remember, yeah, I remember one like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah, that can happen. And, and the sure, sure frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they just don't they don't pull through. So talking about like first time home buyers, a lot that may be listening now. Uh, any like general tips or advice you have for them as far as just like the the process can seem pretty intimidating and overwhelming going into it, and especially with a lot of the different situations you touched upon already. Any tips or, or things you can go over as far as what to look for or make be cognizant of? Sure. Intimidating is a good word and overwhelming is a good word for this whole process. Um, I would say the most important thing you can do is, is pick your team at the start. And by a team, I think you need people that are out there that are looking after your interests and your interests solely. So we start with real estate agents, so people as... I don't have to explain to you guys, um, you know, the buying and the selling side of it. And those interests are competing. So I think that, you know, buyers need to understand that it's important for them to have their own buyer's agent often. 
um, to get through the process, and the sellers clearly have their selling listing, you know, their listing agent. And there are exceptions to all of that, but I think that it's, you know, I think buyers miss the fact that those their buyers agents are there to help them all the way through the process, and that typically that commission is covered upon with the sale, the seller, and the sale of the property. So. I think that's the first place to start for people to realize that that, you know, as a buyer's agent and then as the listing agent, you've got people that are representing your interests solely to do what's best for you moving forward. I also think the lender, pick a lender, shop around, um, find some lenders that are, you're lined up with to get your pre-approval if you are using a lender and needing money to borrow money to buy your home, which most people are. It would be nice um, not to, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So find a lender, get a pre-approval letter, get because that's probably the most overwhelming part of it, I think, initially, is the documentation, getting the documentation of the lender, picking a lender, getting through the rates, knowing whether to lock or not lock, all that stuff. Talk that through with the lender in the beginning. And I think when you have that team lined up, then you have people that you can reach out to through the process to answer your questions. So ultimately, that involves a closing agent, um, but you know, there it's, or an attorney with legal questions or what have you. But I think the most important part is that initial stage of being prepared because you want to be able to make, when you find the right place, you want to be able to make that offer, have a pre-approval letter, and let people know that you're really serious and ready to move forward. So it's picking that team. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's interesting. So I mean, speaking about the, the buyer agency, for instance, um, that's really huge. Like a lot of people thinking, you know, sometimes people go, you know, um, they're looking to buy a property. Well, well, first of all, the buyer isn't paying a commission. The seller's paying the commission. Right. But having that buyer agent is really important because when you, you know, there's a lot of things other than just finding the right house and making a deal. You know, a, a good buyer's agent, for instance, can save you thousands and thousands of dollars. And sometimes that's in, you know, the negotiation thing. You know, we're in New England. It's Yankeeville, right? So everybody sees a price and they go, well, I give you this. Nobody just goes, hey, I'll give you that, unless it's a really crazy market. Like this summer. The summer right, was an example, right? right? Exactly. In June, the, the average time in the market in Nashua was 14 days, yeah. average days on market. And, um, you know, people were making offers on houses well over, you know, you know, two, three, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 over the, the asking price. And, uh, you know, there was like a bidding war versus now, not so much. People aren't bidding out there like that. And, and it's in the properties, um, as of the other day, you know, it's like mid thirties yeah. for the number of days on market. So it's almost double the time. So things change. But there's still a lot of ways that if you have a good agent that they can, you, they can they can save you a lot of money. You know, they'll have techniques they can use so that if you need other money, you know, if you if you really need $10,000 and you can't get $10,000 off the price, you know, sometimes there's things they can do, you know, with if the property will appraise, that they can say, you know, that I would advise a client, look, offer, you can offer $5,000 over and ask $10,000 back and so that's my closing. So. But there's a, a number of other things, and there's just the way you write something up, and I'm sure you see a lot of that. Like one of the things I always put in a contract is that the property must appraise right. at the at the sale price or greater, failing which buyer and seller agree to renegotiate. Right, and if you're just represent if you're representing the seller, you don't necessarily want that language in there. So I would actually say that's probably one of the most misunderstood parts of the closing process for first-time home buyers. I think that they absolutely—it's hard to recall or understand that the uh, seller is paying the commission. You're not paying it as the buyer. Obviously, it has an impact, perhaps, on the purchase price, but oftentimes not at all. Um, 
because they're gonna they're paying a commission. It's just a matter of whether it's shared or not shared, right? So, I think that that's probably a huge part of the misunderstanding for buyers and or the dual agency, mm-hmm. um, and just understanding the difference of that. In the, I find it difficult, you know, as an attorney dealing with conflict of interest to understand that. So for first time home buyers, I think it's just understanding that they want that person out there representing them in their interests and being creative with the different things that they can offer and protecting them with the appraisal language and things that you mentioned. Yeah, the terminology is really important. So if if, if, uh, if we're a, a seller's agent, I mean, the opposite side of that same situation, if, if someone comes to you and, you know, and they're, they're saying they want $10,000 off your client's house, you know, we, again, they can accomplish that with probably only 5000 as long as the house will appraise. And you can do the same thing. Right. You can counter that, well, we'll give you 10000 but we'll raise the house by five. So, yeah, but there's, and there's a number of other things, too, when they're selling the house that, you know, I find that, you know, most clients we have, I mean, by the time we get through with the whole process, because of some of the things we did and we suggested to them, we've actually gotten them more money than they're paying us. I, I, another example of some things that, are, again, a decent agent will do is I was at a client's house this morning uh, because I had suggested to him that before we even put the house on the market, that he have a home inspector come in and go through that house. Because, you know, it, it looks like it's real easy. You put the house on the market, someone makes an offer on it, you go back and forth, and it's like, okay, I'll accept that. Then they do the home inspection, and they come back with a laundry list of, oh, well, we want this, this, this. So and they use but, it as a negotiation tool, truly. Some people do it on purpose using it for a negotiation tool, right? Knowing that they have some room yeah, to negotiate. Right, and have that agent, you know, and whoever that trusting agent is. I mean, quite right, should be us. But there's a lot of good agents out there, seriously. Yeah. But then there's a, a lot who aren't. I mean, the interesting thing is that, you know, the only thing in common amongst all real estate agents is we all have a license. But it ends there. You know, I mean, it's interesting that to become a real estate agent, it takes 40 hours to become... A hairdresser takes fifteen hundred, so there's something wrong with that. Um, so you want to have a, a realtor that really does know, know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sorry you, for another time. Yeah, sorry for another time. But uh, yeah, but it's really important. So you know, but that get back to that story about the the guy selling his house this morning and having the home inspection by ha- advising him that way. You know, we're avoiding. There's no surprises when they have a home inspection, and and in the averages they say that. What it costs people when they get the results of a home inspection, it sometimes can cost you 50% more to get that thing fixed than if you knew ahead of time you could do it. Yeah. Because yeah. people are going to ask for more money than idea. really what's going to cost you to fix mm-hmm. it. So, But anyway, I, you know, I, I'm going off a tangent there, but it is important. So That's I appreciate you mentioning yeah. that, how important that is. It's uh, not just money. So another question is, you know, an awful lot of people, uh, you know, will say, I'm going to sell my house on my own, you know, for sale by owner. And um, what can you tell us about that? I mean, I, my experience, you know, besides obviously trying to get a house listed, my experience is that can be a dangerous thing. What do you, what do you right. know? Right. No, you're right. There is a saying that's that, you know, that somebody who tries to be their own attorney is got a fool for a client. So I think it's probably a similar situation. I think that, first of all, the most difficult part of that selling side initially is setting that price. And I think that you guys can probably agree that most people – feel that their house is worth more than it really is because it is home to them. Um, I'm a person that attaches to my home, so I'm going to think it has a lot of value more than perhaps it really does. So I think that's the first hurdle that's difficult to get past if you don't have a 
listing agent working with you. Uh, but I also think some of the creative things that you've discussed, you know, some of the terminology in the purchase and sale agreement, the whether there's an appraisal issue, the inspection issues, all of that, are you need the guidance of somebody that has the experience and you stepping away from the personal part of the process. So I think that it's a little more disconnected opinion and it's great to have that on your side. I think it's very difficult to maneuver through on your own and get the best that you can get. I mean, people can sell their house on their own probably not going to get as good of a price. They're not going to be as well negotiated for the terms of the purchase and sale agreement. So, and they may not even, um, they may have some difficulty even at the closing stage in understanding exactly what they have to do. If there are title issues, they've got somebody to help them through that and get them connected to the right people. Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's good to hear that, you know, it's, uh, I mean, there's a number of things there, even with, you know, you could, you could underprice your house, like you were saying, and that sometimes you can overprice. And one of the things that, you never want to do that. Overpricing is just as bad as underpricing because if you overprice it and your house ends up on the market and is sitting there for 60 or 90 days, you lose time. You lose time. But the biggest thing is, what, what do people say? Yeah, it's the impression. It's been on the yeah, market for too long. Yeah. What's wrong with it? It's been on the market for 90 days. And so, you know, in the end, you know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a good practice. But I, I worry about people legally, too, in terms of what, what happens because the, the nice thing is that you know, a decent agent, I mean, all the agents, they're trained in the law. I mean, when you take the real estate course, something, really it's all about the law, the, the federal right. law and the state law. Even knowing state. what to disclose. You know, the, one big I question see. is, what you know, what do you have to disclose? Yeah. If right. it's a hidden defect and you know about it, you've got to disclose that. Right. If it's an obvious defect, maybe not so much. So, but even just making that them aware of that information yeah. is important, I think. And people are going to, when you've got, if you don't have an agent with you and you're showing a house and you're going to tell them everything. It's not going to work in your benefit. And, you know, that being said, I mean, one of the things that, that Sam and I do, of course, is, is that the people are going to do that, and they just say, well, no. they're welcome to call and ask some advice on some stuff. And you certainly tell them, but uh, yeah, usually I'm finding that 90% of people call us with those questions and say, well, you know, I really want to sell my own. What about, I'll answer it, because you know what? They may not be interested in listening with me, but... If the advice I give them helps them sell the house, I mean, they give referrals. We love referrals. Um, so our whole thing with, with our partnership is that we want to make sure we're not just, you know, selling and making money to people, that they see us as a resource if they need something for the house that's looking for, you know, a, a vendor or anything else. But even if they're selling the house or not, you know, you try to give them the best advice you can. But, you know, um, the best advice we can give them often is like, you know, this may not be the best way to do this. But... Um, I think it's all about helping people, and so I think that exactly. people don't always believe that you're in these professions for that reason, right. but I am absolutely love to help people, So, and you guys are the same way, um, so clearly you wouldn't be giving out advice right. without right. you know, right. <laughs> being connected to it, so I think that's that's important. Well, yeah. Yeah, Attorney Peralta, I just wanted to um, you know, thank you for being on the Southern New Hampshire Real Estate Show uh, with us, and um, you know, we hope our listeners found this uh, topic very informative. And if you have any questions uh, for Attorney Peralta, you're welcome to send them in to us. Um, or if you have any questions or ideas for future topics, um, this is what it's all about. It's, it's trying to help you become more educated, um, you know, as you pursue the world of real estate, whether you're selling a house, buying a house, just have a question. Um, that's what we're here for. Uh, and so if you're looking to get a hold of us, uh, I'm Dan O'Donnell. And you can uh, reach me at Dan O'Donnell at KW.com. So that's D-A-N-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L at KW.com. Or you can call or text me at uh, 
2569. And? You can reach me, Sam Bohigian. Uh, email is S, my last name, B-O-G-H-I-G-I-A-N at kw.com. Or text or call me anytime at 603-339-2429. Um, thank you again, Attorney Peral. We really appreciate thank your you. time. Thank you. Uh, and hopefully, maybe we can have you back again someday uh, to talk more about real estate law and such. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in, listening. As Dan said, make sure to reach out to us with any questions or other topics you want to learn more about. And uh, we'll talk to you slash see you in the next episode. Thanks.